are many different ways that we can identify ourselves to other people. For example, my name is Jeremy, and I'm the family minister here at Randall Church. And once again, I'm so glad to be with you and worshiping with you this morning. Let me tell you a little bit more about myself, and, and maybe if you want to keep count of how many different ways I identify myself in this this morning, go ahead and try and keep count. Like I said, my name is Jeremy. I'm 32 years old. I'm married. I have a son named Micah, and we have our second child coming in just two short months. I am five foot eight. Uh, I have brown hair, brown eyes. Born and raised in the town of Tonawanda, where I still live. I have a bachelor's degree from SUNY Geneseo in history and will soon be completing a Master's of Divinity in May uh, from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. While I was raised in church my whole life, uh, I have been a committed follower of Jesus for about 13 years. My favorite food is chicken wings. My favorite drink is Dr. Pepper, either Diet Dr. Pepper or Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. Gotta watch those calories. My favorite sports teams, I love sports, favorite sports teams are Chelsea FC over in England, the Atlanta Braves, obviously the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Sabres. I am a proud Disney adult. I like music, I like reading, I like coffee. I am a self-proclaimed coffee snob. If you want to talk about coffee, feel free to talk to me about coffee. I will talk your ear off forever. Now, some of this may sound like a dating profile. I could have added, I like long walks on the beach and beautiful sunsets. And I don't really like long walks on the beach, to be honest. But um, many of you know a lot of this information already, right? I am new, but I'm not that new. You, you know a lot of this about me, right? Did you, cap did you happen to catch how many things I said that you would consider an identifier of who I am? Uh, my, I didn't actually count, but, but probably a dozen, if not more, things that I said that identify something about me. My name, my occupation, my family, my likes, and my dislikes are all identifiers of who I am. They tell something about me. And that's, that's what identifiers do, right? They, they signify something, usually of importance, about ourselves. We identify ourselves based on our name. The government identifies us with a social security number. That number is an identification of who you are. Our identity comes from physical attributes as well. Our personal likes and dislikes are identifications of who we are. So much so that in our region, Western New York, we take great pride in our identification of our fandom of our sports teams, particularly the Buffalo Bills, so much so that a friend of mine took it a step further about a decade ago and began what is now nationally and even internationally known as the Bills Mafia, right? And if you are a member of the Bills Mafia, it's an identification of your support of the Bills. We identify ourselves in a lot of ways and through various means. And this morning we are continuing our study of the Great Commission and how this commission by Christ, help shape and mold the DNA of Christians for 2,000 years, and more specifically, how it shapes and molds our DNA here at Randall Church. And this morning, we're going to look at a key form of identification that Jesus outlines in Matthew 28, baptism. 
Now, I just read the Great Commission, but, but really where I want to focus in this morning is verse 19. So let me read it again for us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is by far one of the most well-known verses in Scripture. Many of us can quote it from heart. But interesting, there is only one verb in this verse. Make disciples. That is the centering verse and verb of this command. The other ones, the verbal natures here in the text are not actual verbs, but they are supporting verbs through a participle. Go, teaching, and baptizing are participles. A little English nerd stuff going on there for you. The implication in this is that the making of disciples is primary to what Jesus' command is, and that the, the, the means of making disciples is through three ways, going, teaching, and, of course, baptizing. And like I said this morning, we are going to be looking at baptism as a key aspect of what it means to make disciples. But more than that, baptism is a significant identification in the life of a believer. It's also a significant identification for the life of the church, both universally and locally. We here at Randall Church are Baptists. It's in our name. The full name of the church is Helen M. Randall Memorial Baptist Church. Baptist is a key distinctive that we hold, so much so it's in our name. And it has been in our name for almost 200 years. And baptism is significant. It's significant because of what it is and what it represents. On a personal note, I, anytime I see a baptism, when I see someone getting baptized, I get choked up. I get emotional in those. I don't even have to know the person. I get choked up watching someone be baptized. I hold personally baptism in a very high regard and a very high standard for the believer. And as we'll see this morning, baptism is not something that should be taken lightly, not because it has any sort of special power or abilities or anything like that, but simply because of what it represents and it identifies for us, it is significant in the life of the believer. Now we are called to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that clause, in the name of, uh, in the Greek is, is found again in Matthew 18, verse 20, when Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name. The same Greek phrase there. I think that's significant because it's a recognition of being associated with or having solidarity with someone. So when we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is recognizing that we have become associated with, we are identifying with the Father, we are identifying with the Son, and we are identifying with the Holy Spirit. That is unique to our identity as a follower of Jesus. And on that note, I want us to dive into Scripture this morning. I want to preface that we will be jumping around a number of places 
in the Bible. So if you want to follow along, feel free to flip along in your Bible. We will also have all the scripture on the screen because we want to explore this idea of baptism. What does scripture have to say about the significance of baptism? This morning, I want us to look at four ways that baptism identifies us as a disciple of Jesus. And the first way is this, is that baptism is an identification of our covenant with the Father. Baptism is an identification of our covenant with the Father. This idea of covenant stretches as far back as the Garden of Eden. When God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve after their sinful rebellion, and he makes this covenant that one day he will crush the head of the serpent through Eve's offspring. That's a promise. That's a covenant he makes with Adam and Eve. And some chapters later in Genesis, God initiates another covenant, this time with Abraham, who is then known as Abram. And this covenant is first seen in Genesis chapter 12, when God says to Abraham, And says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then two chapters later in Genesis 15, there is a Strange ceremony, if you read it, uh, that, that God accomplishes while Abram is sleeping. But, but it says in that verse, Genesis 15, 18, says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The covenant is established in Genesis 15. But then that covenant is given a sign two chapters later in Genesis chapter 17. As God says, To Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. The sign of the covenant with God, his his covenantal promises to his people is given through the sign of of circumcision. And from then on, the Hebrew people, God's chosen covenant people, were identified as those chosen people, as the receivers of God's blessing through this covenantal sign of circumcision. The promise of God to Abraham that his offsprings would be a great nation would be continued through the line of those who were circumcised. This covenant would be expanded upon later through the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai and God creates the the rules of what the covenant people are to live like and be like. And ultimately, this covenant is what we refer to as the covenant of works. The covenant of works. Why do we call it that? It's because it it required work to maintain God's covenant blessing. It required work to receive the blessing. In order to receive this blessing, you had to be born into the covenant family or be adopted into that covenant family, but then you also had to follow all 600 plus laws to receive God's covenant blessing. And when Israel failed to obey the law, God's blessing would be removed from them, often leading to their enemies overtaking them or being exiled. This covenant was not only a covenant of works, it was a covenant marked by a physical distinction. 
Now, if you have noticed, we do not follow the Old Testament covenant law. We do not do animal sacrifices up here, much to maybe some of the youth's dis, you know, disappointment that we don't do animal sacrifices. It would liven up worship a little bit, maybe. Uh, but we do not do that. We, we do not follow a strict code of laws that we follow. And why is that? Because we are not under the covenant of works anymore. We are not under the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law, and he has established a new covenant, a spiritual covenant, a covenant of grace. This covenant in which his, God's covenantal blessings are reserved for those who by faith alone, through grace alone, are saved in Christ alone. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. We are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Some of your translations may say, not of the law, but of the Spirit. Those of us in Christ are ministers of a new covenant, not of works, but a covenant of grace. And not one where the covenantal blessing comes through circumcision, but rather comes from faith in Christ. And baptism is the outward expression of this spiritual covenant with God. It is the recognition of faith in Christ and that the spiritual blessings of that covenant is shared with and celebrated. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2. He, he speaks to this. He says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Baptism is the sign of this new covenant. It is the identifier that the one being baptized is no longer dead to the trespasses, but is an inheritor and minister of a new covenant with God, one made through Christ in his atoning sacrifice on the cross. That is a signifier, an identifier of what baptism is. It's saying, I am a part of this new covenant. I have received the blessing of God in this new covenant. Baptism is also an identification of our union with the Son. Baptism is an identification of our union with the Son. As I noted earlier, the way in which we are to be baptized is in the name of, which how Jesus mentions in earlier in Matthew is a reference of deep association or deep solidarity. This is an idea that we call union with Christ. It's this idea that we have a deep association. We are united with Jesus. And through faith, we are united with Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection. As a believer, you are united in things with him. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. 
says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism is an identification that we are in union with Christ, that we, alongside his death and resurrection, we have also died to our sin. We have also put away our sin and nailed it to the cross so that we can walk in the newness of life with Christ. This is why we dunk people down into the water. It's the signifier of burying our sins and rising to new life. Baptism is an acknowledgement of our relationship with Christ, that we are with him, but perhaps more importantly, that Christ is now also in union with us. It is a beautiful picture of that deep, eternal union that we share, this deep relationship, unlike any other relationship you can have. But we need to be clear on something. Baptism is not the cause of that union. It is not what unites us to Christ. It is the symbol of the faith we received, which was given to us. A good illustration with this is my wedding ring, right? I have this wedding ring. It's important to me, right? It symbolizes my union with my wife. When people see this ring, they know that I have a union with my wife. I am in relationship, in a deep relationship with someone else. And I play with this ring a lot. I'm, I'm always fiddling with it. I'm always twirling it. I'm taking it off, spinning it, doing all that because it's really easy to take off. So much so that I drop it constantly and drop it in the worst places you can imagine. I'm at a restaurant and I'm playing with it and I drop it on the ground. I'm at a concert or a sporting event and I'm playing with it and I drop it and it's rolling around somewhere, right? It, right? But, but here's the thing. If I if I lose this ring, does it suddenly mean that I am no longer married to my wife? Of course not. Do I cease to be married just because I don't have the ring on? That's an absurd idea. The ring is just a symbol. It's an identifier of my marriage, my union with my wife. If that were the case, every time I went to go wash the dishes and I take my ring off, I suddenly become a bachelor doing the dishes. And in that case, I don't want to do the dishes. <laughs> Baptism is not what unifies us to Christ. So that means if you're dragging your feet on being baptized, it does not mean you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You are in union. Now, I believe in baptism. I believe strongly in what it is and represents, and I would urge you, even though you have that relationship, if you have not taken that step of baptism, do it. Because it is an identification to the world that I am in union. I am in relationship with Jesus. It is an act that symbolizes what Paul says in Galatians when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is what baptism says. 
our Randall Constitution states that we believe believer we believe baptism and the Lord's Supper are prescribed practices for the church, being reserved for believers only. Baptism by immersion following conversion is a testimony portraying the believer's union with Christ in his burial and resurrection. It is a testimony to how we identify with Christ in all ways. We bury our old sinful lives. We walk anew in the power and the strength of Christ. Baptism is what makes that clear. Makes it clear to others, to ourselves, to the world. So baptism is an identifier of our covenant with God. It's an identifier of our union with Christ. And it is also an identifier of our empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an identifier of our empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, he's, he's dealing with a lot of arguing back and forth. Corinthian church is not playing nice with one another. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptism is the beautiful act symbolizing the public declaration of our faith in Christ. Yes, yes, yes. But it is also a picture and display of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is giving testimony to the Spirit's work in us. It demonstrates that we have received the Spirit by faith, that we've been given the gift of faith, and now we walk in that faith and walk in that obedience, being led by the Spirit to publicly declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus in John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is what guides us into truth and guides us into faith. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit leads us to faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is a gift. Faith is a gift. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides us into truth. And that includes the truth of Christ, the truth of salvation, this faith, belief in the Son and His life, death and resurrection is not of our own knowledge, not of our own understanding. We are dead in our sins. But it is through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that raises us to new life and belief in Him. This is the work of God. The work of God in sending the Son, the work of the Son on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and the work of the Holy Spirit giving faith and leading us to an understanding that leads to salvation. We often look at baptism as simply the public declaration of faith in Christ. But it is more than that. It, it points to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It points to the power that we have received in the Holy Spirit, being empowered, saying, no, I'm walking in this newness of life, not on my own ability, not on my own strength, but through the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say that even walking through the waters of baptism 
is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. That you have taken the step of faith. Because it is oftentimes a difficult step, a challenging step. It can be an emotional step. For example, I was baptized as an infant. I grew up in the Methodist church. And in college, my, my theology of baptism changed. What I saw in Scripture differed. And so I became pseudo-Baptist, I guess. Wouldn't have fully identified Baptist then in there. I was pseudo-Baptist, right? And so it changed. And a bunch of my other theology shifted and all of that. And, and, and I was ready to, to leave sort of my, my home church. I was ready to, to go to another church. And uh, I was looking at churches. And one of my friends, one of my college roommates who works at Missio Church in, in Syracuse, I, I said to him, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of, of going to uh, Restoration Church. And I said, but to become a member, they're going to make me be baptized, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm not going to do that. I just didn't, I was stubborn. And, and so I dragged my feet on baptism. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit used my then girlfriend, fiance, and wife to push me. She said, you're being stubborn, you're being hard-headed, you are being prideful in not going through baptism. You believe this, but you won't do it yourself. Harsh words that I needed to hear. And so in 2018, I publicly declared my faith through baptism. Way later than I probably should have, but I believe it was a step of faith that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was an identification that the Holy Spirit was doing a work in me and had been doing a work in me. Baptism is that identification of what God has done and continues to do in the lives of people. When we celebrate someone walking through the waters of baptism, it is a celebration of the entire work of the Trinity, working in unison, wholly and completely in that person's life. The Godhead doing a magnificent dance together in their lives, changing their lives, bringing them to salvation. It is beautiful. It is worth celebrating. It is emotionally wonderful. a joy and a privilege. But this identification that comes with baptism extends beyond the work of the Trinity in our personal lives. Yes, the Trinity does beautiful things, and I, we identify with those things, but it goes beyond that. There is a fourth identification that baptism gives us, and it is this. Baptism is an identification of our membership with the body. Baptism is an identification of our membership with the body. This is both a local and a global identification. On the one hand, it is the recognition and acknowledgement of being on God's team. In the sense of the universal family of God. The Big C Church. Jonathan Lehman, who is an author and a pastor in Maryland, he, he writes for uh, this organization called Nine Marks. He wrote an article a few years ago and he used 
the analogy of team jerseys and baptism. And it's a great illustration, so thanks to Jonathan, I'm going to borrow that illustration this morning. Think of a team jersey. Yesterday, the Bills played their final preseason game against the Chicago Bears, right? Imagine during that game, if you watched that game, that neither team wore their jerseys or neither team wore a helmet identifying what team they were on. They wore blank helmets and blank jerseys on. They had just their pads on, maybe some old gym shirts, gym shorts. How would you know which team the players were playing for? It would be utter chaos on the football field. Players would hit their own teammates, quarterbacks, throwing the ball to random people. It would be wildly confusing. The play-by-play itself would be entertaining to listen to. Baptism is like putting on a jersey and saying, this is my team. I belong to this team. I have been drafted by the greatest owner, and I'm identifying with this team, this family. We enter that family when we receive Christ as our Savior. Baptism is an affirmation by the self and an affirmation of the community in saying, welcome to the team. It is putting on the jersey, saying, I, I'm choosing this team. I'm on this team. However, it's not just an identification of the larger body. It has significance for us in the local church as well. As Baptists, our conviction is that baptism is necessary for membership. Why? It seems arbitrary, I think. Because how else are you to know that we're on the same team? Let's continue with the illustration of the jerseys here for a second. When the Bills signed Von Miller two years ago, imagine Von walking into the locker room for the first day, walking into uh, the to Coach McDermott and, and Brandon Bean's office, and he says, hey, is it all right if I keep wearing my Rams jersey while I'm on this team? Is it okay? Can I just keep wearing the Rams jersey? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. He's on a new team. He has to identify with the team he's on now. Baptism identifies us as members of God's team, of God's family. And so when we say to be a member, you must be or have been baptized, it's because we need to be wearing the same jersey. We need to be identifying on the same team. As the band comes forward, I want to look at what Paul writes in Galatians. He writes this idea of, of again, how we need to identify together as one body. It says in Galatians 3, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we, are, when we are baptized, we have put on Christ. We have put on the jersey. 
that I'm on this team. That's what identifies us. But it also identifies us as one who has joined in covenant with God the Father. That we have received the covenantal blessings that God has given through It's an identification that says, I am in deep, loving relationship, in union with Christ. It's an identification that says, I have received and am empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are one in the family of God, like Paul says in Galatians 3. Baptism is that identification. There are a lot of people that will claim to be Christian, but will never take the public declaration of faith. It's like saying, I'm, I'm a fan of the Bills, but I will never wear or own or have anything to do with the Bills publicly. But I'm a fan. But it's way deeper than that. That is a very superficial, thin analogy. Because baptism is significant for what it identifies for us. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, maybe you're like me, and you have been stubbornly dragging your feet, thinking, I don't need to be baptized. What's the point? And I hope I made a scriptural defense of why it is so important. And I would encourage you, if you have not walked through baptism, and you are a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to do that. You can talk to myself, you can talk to Pastor Milo, Pastor Brian. We would love to walk you through what that looks like and be able to do that with you, to celebrate with you this identification. But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. I want to encourage you that God has given a gift, a gift through His Son. That you don't have to follow a bunch of laws and rules, that there's no work that you need to do because that work has been accomplished for you on the cross. And God extends an invitation. All you need to do is have faith in Christ. Believe that he was who he says he was, that he died on the cross for your sins. And you will be an inheritor of that blessing that you will have union with Christ now and forevermore. And that the Holy Spirit will be in you for eternity. And you get to be a part of a family. If you have not made that step of faith and belief in Christ, I would love to talk to you this morning. I'll be outside after service. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. On that. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you. We thank you for your promises you've given all the way back in Genesis, in the garden. You made a promise, God, a, a covenant with your people. And God, you have been faithful. Promise. God, I pray that we see. We see the, the public declaration that baptism is, is not just simply something we do to check off a box, but God, it is a deeply powerful identification of who we are with you, in you. 
God, I pray this morning that those who have not made that public declaration would do so, God. That they would put on the jersey, so to speak, and say, I'm on God's team. God, I pray for those who may not know you, who may just be exploring this God thing, that God, they would see that you are real, that you have made a promise, you've fulfilled that promise in your son. And that there is blessings eternal for them. If they trust in, follow you, devote their life to you, God. I pray that they would take that step of faith this morning as well. God, we thank you for this symbol of baptism, for what it represents and what it represents for you and for us. God, I pray that we, we hold that true in our hearts, in our minds, and that, God, we can celebrate together the power that you do in our lives. God, we thank you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship?